hands together and give the Lord praise. Glorify the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, I decrease so you can increase. Come on. Is there a decrease in your spirit tonight? Hallelujah. that came this evening or woke up this morning that you're willing to lay it all aside for the glory of the Lord to be revealed in this place is there anybody in this room that woke up this morning on your heart that I'm going to decrease so that the Lord can increase let's just keep talking to the Lord said do not second guess the place that he has brought you to the Lord said do not be troubled by the opposition by the wall that stands in front of you I heard you say to the Lord Lord I feel as though I do not measure up for this season it's almost as if you feel as though you're like a fish out of water. But the Lord's power is able to destroy yokes, is able to break chains. And even though you're in an unfamiliar place, God is very well familiar with the place and the season that he has brought you to. And the Lord says them to. Do not be distracted by the thoughts, by the fear, by the words that are spoken into your ears. But be persuaded in the promise and the word that God gave you before you made that step forward. 
I saw you come to a place where you counted up the cost. And even though right now you're at a place where it feels like the cost that you have counted or the cost that you've counted, it seems like it's all the way, it's happening in a way that that you did not intend. But I've come to tell you this night that there's a glory on the other side. This day, I want you to hold on to your faith. I want you to hold on to everything that God has spoken. The adversary has been given the liberty to touch certain things but he doesn't have the power to touch everything but nevertheless the Lord says I stand with you and he says and I can work through you but you've got to stay focused so this day in the name of Jesus Lord I prayed this night the visions and dreams that you have spoken to him. Lord, his desire to keep marching forward when in this season is much easier to do something different. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord God, that you would open up the heavens, Lord God, tonight. And I'm asking, Lord, that there would be a restoration of faith, restoration of vision, Restoration of power and authority, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray, Lord God, that every disappointment, Lord God, that has occurred and everything that he had envisioned that has fallen apart, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I ask, Lord, that you would take his eyes off of what is not left and set his eyes off of what is left. And Lord God, present it before you and begin to glorify you knowing that there's a miracle in what remains. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your hand, your mercy, your power that is on this life. In Jesus' name, everybody worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Stretch your faith towards heaven. My brother in the back that's right behind the gentleman I just prayed for in the black suit, if you could, raise your hand. I don't know who you are, but there is a hunger for more. There's a hunger for more. There's a thirst for more. I would like to tell you this day that God said, I want you to walk in patience. You must have need of patience. What I mean by that is that you can put unnecessary pressure upon yourself. And in doing that, it is almost like a person could try to force themselves 
into a place that might not be time for. The reason why I say peace and reason why I say patience is because the adversary would like to take the hunger that you have and mix it with impatience and put you in a vulnerable place where you can begin to listen to to the wrong thing. God has got you right where he wants you. And the Lord is saying in this season he wants you to exhaust what he has provided and what he has given you in the season that you're in right now. Everything that sounds good isn't always God. Just because it's good don't mean it's God. And what God is doing is God's going to strengthen your discernment. Do not walk out of here feeling fearful like you're way off somewhere. But can I tell you that the adversary likes to set traps. And sometimes there are some traps that people can get entangled in. It's not that they go some crazy direction. But they find themselves warring with something that is a distraction and a waste of time. And by the time you figure out that what you're dealing with isn't God, then the very thing, then what happens is after that, it's like you come to a place and it's like, man, I've wasted a whole season. I've wasted a lot of time. The Lord wants you to redeem the time that you're in right now. God is going to use you, but you've got to be patient. Why don't you stretch your hands towards him? I see you being used as a tool that's going to lead a lot of people out of false doctrine. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for my brother. In the name of Jesus, I will not to be distracted, but help him to be focused. I want to be submitted, help them to walk in the power of God. In the name of Jesus, we worship you this night. In Jesus' name. What's your name? Nathan. How old are you? 23. You always been that tall. <laughs> Why don't you raise your hands, Nathan? Nathan. 
Is that your mom next to you? Mom, the Lord says, cast all your cares upon him. For he cares for you. Nathan, I want to talk to you. You can look at me. I want to talk to you. The Lord wants to give you peace. God wants to clear your mind. Give you a sound mind. I see at times where you're getting frustrated. Because at times it makes you feel like people. It's like I see you within yourself feeling like people are trying to put too much pressure on you. You feel you feel you feel the pressure. And when that happens, you become frustrated, you become confused. And then in that process, almost like an anger can rise up. The Lord wants to give you control over that. You're a person that through that anger, some of it is dealt, it's, 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 it's grounded in hurt. The Lord is your healer. And the thing is this, is that whatever, it's almost like I see at times where you feel like people it's like sometimes the adversary is making you feel like people are looking at you. The enemy job is to steal, kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Nathan, I don't want you to stop measuring yourself by what people said that you can be and by what people say you could never be. And begin to walk in what God is calling you right now. This day in the name of Jesus, I speak a healing in your heart And every frustration that you have, all this anger that is that's that that's locked up, that is used to cover up the hurt that is on the inside, we remove that tonight by the power and the authority that is in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray a healing would come upon him this night. And all frustration and anger that is associated and centered around one of his parents. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you would lift it tonight in the name of Jesus. Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that you would remove, Lord God, the frustration, the bitterness, the hurt, the resentment, the anger, the anxiety, the hurt. 
that makes him question your love for him. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, I pray a healing, Lord. Let it fall upon him this night in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. times in life when you go into places or you're in a season some people ask God why I remember being in church in the Baptist church and they would say never ask God why you're not supposed to question God and I don't think that's biblical. How are you going to learn if you don't ask? Any father that loves his son understands that if that son is going to develop, he's got to ask the question, why? And there are seasons in people's life where sometimes God doesn't give you the why when you ask. Because sometimes God is wanting to show more of himself, show more of his love, reveal more of himself to you. So that when the why comes around, you can understand it. And you can receive the why with the right spirit. But what happens when you ask God why and God doesn't respond? Sometimes it is easy for a person to be left to their own thoughts. Silence. if taken the wrong way, can create a deeper hole. But I'm reminded when Job said, even though I don't understand where God is at in this season, even though I don't even know why all this stuff is happening, he said, I know he knows the way that I take. Turn to someone and tell them that God knows where you're at. Turn to somebody else that's six foot or further from you and tell them that God knows. He knows where you're at. Nathan, right? Nathan's mom. Have faith in God. You don't have to live in fear. 
you live in faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Evidence of things that are not seen. You don't have to see it to see it. There's something when you begin to hope. You begin to believe upon the word of the Lord that in spite of the fact that you don't know how it's going to happen, you know that God is able. Or just stretch your hands up towards heaven. The Lord said, I've come for the words that have troubled your heart. He said, I come for the words that sit upon the headboard of your bed at night. In the name of Jesus, I come against the spirit of torment. This night, by the power and the authority that is in the name of Jesus. Lord God, I speak a healing, Lord God. Hallelujah to her heart. In the name of Jesus, help her to fight the good fight of faith. I come against every destructive word, every abusive word, every cursed word that was spoken into her heart. In the name of Jesus this day. Lord God, I speak a breakthrough. I speak a healing. I speak deliverance, Lord God. Upon her mind, upon her heart, Lord, let her world be formed by the word of God. Not by the word of her adversary. In the name of Jesus. I remember when I received the Holy Ghost. 
and I remember a song. It said, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Pure and holy. Tried and true. And with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. When they looked at me and they said, Brother Hurt, you have received the Holy Ghost. Or they affirmed, because back then they didn't believe in telling you that you had the Holy Ghost for some reason. They looked at me and they said, your brother hurt now. And I said, brother hurt? I never heard a title like that. They said, well, you're a saint now. And I wasn't really learned. But I remember there was a a girl that I was talking to that went to one of the Catholic schools, cathedral. And I remember are talking about Mother Teresa. And she made the statement that Mother Teresa was going to be a saint or something. I remember her telling me along the lines that a person, if I'm not mistaken, did not become a saint until they died. I didn't understand it. But when they told me, Brother Hurt, you are a saint, and they said that you have Receive the Holy Ghost. Something clicked. I could not explain in words what all was going on. But I knew deep down inside Something happened. I was so excited over the fact that God would even call me to be a saint. And even though I was young, I... I was honored. 
not so much to be called to the ministry or I didn't even know that that was even available. But to be called a saint, to be called a brother, wouldn't say that I was lifted up in pride. But I can remember feeling honored. When I was in high school, I enlisted in the military, in the army. I was supposed to go to basic training that summer. I went through the delayed entry program. But right before I went to basic training, I decided to steal the recruiting station's car. You can take them out the hood, but you can't take the hood out of them. Didn't feel like riding the bus. I figured I'd just borrow it for a couple of weeks. They weren't needing it. It was Christmas break. I was going into the army. There were other friends that wanted to go into the Air Force because they said you didn't go to war. No one wanted to go to the Navy because they felt like the clothes weren't masculine enough. Somebody's like, this is going to be your last service. <laughs> I, you know, I was trying not to say it. This. My wife is probably like, you just had to say it. You just had to say it. I figured if I'd say it with, you know, real serious, you know. I'm going somewhere. <sighs> Hopefully I can get out of where I'm going. But then there were those that wanted to go to the Marines. I didn't want to go to the Marines because I just thought that they were just a little bit weird. They always rough. You just would have assumed that they didn't wear lotion. They, they wore motor oil. Cook with WD-30. (laughs) 
But I had a friend, Nathan, named Nathan. A really good friend of mine. He wanted to go to the Marine Corps. And the reason why he wanted to go was because he liked the uniform. And at that time, I believed that the Army's basic training was like eight weeks. And the Marine Corps was like 12 weeks. And when I just did the math, <laughs> I didn't care how long, how, how, how wonderful the uniform looked. I'm good. While you're finishing up your basic training, I'll be in AIT somewhere. And watch guys come out of the Marine Corps overweight. I mean, go into the Marine Corps overweight and come out trimmed. The men that are in the military today that go in and come out seem to not have the honor, not all, but they don't walk with honor the way that I used to see military men wear their uniform with honor. If I was in the Navy, I probably would not make it. I don't know how the uniforms look today. But they were just a little too cute for me back then. And that's because of where I come from. It's not anything biblical but it was the association because usually when a person has a baby you never see a child dressed up on Sunday looking like a marine but every once in a while you'll see that child and the mama put that child in a little navy outfit my wife tried to buy my son one one time I said not so <laughs> not so But I'd watch men that would wear their uniform. And even those Navy men, when I go to Chicago, whenever I fly out of O'Hare, for some reason, whenever I fly out of O'Hare, there's a lot of Navy men that fly in and out of O'Hare Airport. Honorable men. Good men. Grateful for men that would serve their country. 
regardless of how the uniform looks. But there's an honor that I had when I found out that even though I wasn't in the Army, United States Army, it was an honor to be in the Army of the Lord. I didn't wear it with pride. But I did wear it with honor. And I remember saying, God, I want you to use me. Wherever you lead me, I will follow. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say it. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Sometimes I think that there have been times that I got into a place in the presence of God. Maybe it was singing a song and the anointing would fill that room. And even though you can be in the presence of hundreds of people, it's like the only one that is in the room is you and God. It's like you have moved beyond this place of thrill and excitement. And your heart, your spirit is connected. And it's just like it's just you and God. I remember... Telling God, Lord, I just, whatever you want to do with me. Not knowing what it all entailed. But I was honored. I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't want money. Wasn't looking for silver or gold. Wasn't looking for a position. But when you recognize who he is. And you realize where you come from. There should be an honor to be called one of his. A friend of mine, he said in the Marine Corps, you didn't just, I guess at that time you just didn't, your MOS was not just handed to you when you took the ASVAT. It was after basic training and whatever was available, that was it. And I said, I just couldn't. So, like, basically, if you came in there, you wanted to be a, I don't know, a fighter pilot, I don't know. You, you wanted to be a fighter and the only thing they had on the for the day was we need more cooks. And friend, you're gonna be making pancakes in the Marine Corps. Now for me that 
would have been a challenge for me. Because if I go to Sister Natasha, you know, and she saw me in the uniform and we were single, and she said, you serve? Yeah. I serve. What are you? You're a Navy SEAL. That's a Navy. That that's the part. That's the good part of the Navy. <laughs> Navy SEALs. No, you're a Navy SEAL. Yeah. <laughs> that seems a little bit more impressive. Than walking around with not ribbons, what do you call them? Hmm? Ribbons. Walking around with ribbons because you cook 10,000 pancakes in Iraq. Did five tours in Iraq, flipping pancakes. That would have been a challenge for me. I probably would have acted like I didn't serve. That was pride. But when I came into the kingdom of God, I wasn't looking for something prestigious. I was just honored to be a part of the kingdom. I was honored to serve. I wasn't looking for a pulpit. I was looking for a broom. I was looking for a church bus that needed people to pick people up for church. I was looking for when the preacher said they needed someone to go do something. It didn't matter because it was an honor to be able to serve in the kingdom of God and serve in the army of the Lord. I remember telling God, Lord, wherever you lead me, I'll follow you. I found that when you go to the military you are placed into what position you're placed in based upon how you scored on that entry test but 
But when it comes down to the kingdom of God, God doesn't place you by how you scored. He places you according to his will. And also the condition sometimes of your heart. I remember feeling honored, but oftentimes I have to remember that I still serve the Lord. Our person would say, Brother Hurt, how is it that you would say that you have to remember that you serve the Lord. Because no matter how much authority you've been given, you're still under it. And after a while, there's a thing called integrity. It's one thing to be obedient to the things that people publicly know that God is telling you to do. But it's a whole nother thing to be obedient when the only one that knows what you're being told to do is the God that's telling you to do it. It is possible to be a saint in the church with a reputation of great obedience to spiritual leadership and still have a reputation of being disobedient to God. I was at a funeral one time. They said, whatever I needed this person to do, they were always there. If I asked them to do this, they did it. If we needed someone to volunteer for this, they volunteered. If I needed someone to cut the grass, that person cut the grass. They were the first ones at the church and they were the last ones to leave. They served me faithfully. They served this church faithfully. But no one ever asked did they serve God faithfully. Because it is possible to be faithful to the preacher, faithful to the congregation, and unfaithful to God. 
because God, when God grades your test, he grades you. He does not add up everything and you don't pass by the percentage. It's like in school, you've got eight weeks, nine weeks. And with this nine weeks that you've got, you've taken several tests. And you've got two nine weeks within a semester. And usually what they do is they take all of those nine weeks and they add them all up. And from that, they gain their percentage. And whatever your average percentage was, that was your, your grade. And what was left over is what determined whether or not you passed the test. Or whether or not you go to the next grade, you go to the next level. But when it comes down to God, he doesn't do it by percentage. He does it by where are you at at this moment. He doesn't add up all the tests and all the times that he said yes and you said no. The Bible says, Howsoever a tree fall, so shall it lay. I was the student in school. Like I told you, I was a student that I was a class clown. But I wasn't dumb. I could literally listen. Occupy the whole congregation. (laughs) Occupy the whole classroom. Have everybody laughing and distracted, even the teacher. And have her mad because she's distracted and she knows my jokes are funny. She'll pull out a pop test or a pop quiz and everybody will fail the test and the quiz and I'll pass it. My senior year, my father came up to the school, and I want to say by the month of September or October, by the month of October, I think I had cut about 40-something, 40-something classes. Teachers were calling him, and they were saying, we want to fail, George but I don't know how he's even passing in my class. That felt me. They wanted to kick me. They were supposed to kick me out. They were like, we don't even know how he's passing tests. We don't know how he's getting his homework. He's turning. He's not showing up to class, but his assignments are coming in. I remember teachers 
feeling as though I wasn't following, you know, the protocol. One thing about it is that when you're in the kingdom of God, God is not just concerned about your past success. It's where you at right now. Where are you at right now? My father came to the school to bring me, and he was not a small guy. He is bigger than what I am, and I was much smaller than what I am now. And my father was not saved, but he did not mind laying hands on you. But I was like, Dad, I'm passing the test. I had a smart mouth, not with my parents. But I had a smart mouth with teachers and a smart mouth with bus drivers. I remember the bus driver kicking me off the bus. And being suspended from the bus. No, at that time I was expelled from it. And I looked at the bus and that bus driver and I told the bus driver, I said, you know what, I'll be back on this bus. She's like, no, you're not. I said, I got friends in high places. <laughs> Arrogance. Some of the principals and deans liked me because I just had the audacity to say stuff that was just crazy. But somehow or another, I was able to kind of navigate and kind of go to the next level. Because I was passing my tests. And they were giving me that average score. But when it comes down to God, God's not looking at, he's not adding up everything. And then 90% here, 90% there, 95% there, add them all together and then divide it. And then, no, that's not how he's doing it. I remember I could draw real good. And in college, there was a drawing class I was taking, and a teacher gave me a B plus. And there was this guy that sat next to me that drew a picture. And it was sorry. It was the sorriest picture I've ever seen. 
in a drawing class of somebody that was, it was just pathetic. I think he took the class because he just didn't know what else to take. He just wanted to try something. She gave him like a 90 something percent. And she gave me a B plus. I just thought surely she had made a mistake. So I went to her. And I was like, you know, did you give him my grade and accidentally? Gave me his grade. I was dead serious. I was heated. And she looked at me. She said, George. She said, what I have given you was what you deserve. Because I graded you not just on your quality, but on your ability. She said, I know your work. And I know what you can do. And I know what you did not do. I know his work. And I know what he could do. And I know what he could not do. I didn't grade you according to the greatness. I graded you according to your potential. That man left that class that semester with a higher grade than me. God does not grade us based upon how great we are. Because you can take someone that has failed the whole semester but get down to the last test and pass it and he will advance them forward. Reason why I'm talking about this tonight the Lord spoke to me late last year And I told you that at times it is challenging because I have to realize that I belong to God. There are times where God has told me to do stuff. And people are like, man, you, he obeys the Holy Ghost because of the results. And surely so, you can't do certain things if God's not with you. But I'm not here to talk about the things that I do. Because see, the things that I do is not what keeps me up at night or that puts me on my face at night. Or when I'm praying, it's what I don't do. That concerns me. See the thing is. The challenge is. Is that there are things that God will tell me to do. And I don't want to do it. 
Because it's not always easy. It's not always convenient. You know, the Bible says that Judas sought for a convenient way to betray the Christ. Betrayal always comes with convenience. No one betrays Christ in an inconvenient manner. It's always convenient. But your obedience to God always comes through inconvenience. And your disobedience comes through convenience. The Lord began to tell me, he said, that there are things that you don't tell the people. Because you don't want to deal with backlash. He told me years ago, he said, beware when all manner of men speak well of you. So did they, the false prophets. I remember I had a conversation with God one year and I said, Lord, I see this scripture, but you know, a lot of people like me and um, I'm not saying that this scripture doesn't apply, but a lot of people like me, Lord, and I just don't understand. And it was that year that I started coming under all kind of attack <laughs> and I realized that everybody doesn't like you. But I started saying things not long after that that caused temporary disruption. And then later on down the road there were those that still would stay mad at me, but then there will also be those that will come back and have to apologize and say, you know what, I was mad at you when you said that. Or you said something or you did something and I didn't like it. Or you said something and I said, that can't possibly be, that had never happened and it actually came to pass. The challenge is, is when you have been given something to give to people and you know that there's a part of them that don't want to believe it. For me personally, on a carnal level, it is easier for me to walk away and you never know what God wants you to hear than it is for me to walk away telling you what God wants you to hear and to see you fight against what God wants you to hear. Because see, the thing is, I don't. it's not like I watch you fight God. God, that's not the one you fight. But it's like you watch the person fight the mailman. It's, it's like my wife's father worked for the light company. 
And he had the wonderful job of cutting off electricity. And when he would go to people's houses, he'd get chased by dogs. He'd be bit by dogs. People would attack him because of something going on between them and the light company. But the Lord began to speak to me about iniquity and about understanding that if you shave off what I tell you to do, that at that moment, you're a worker of iniquity. Because at that moment, you're choosing to do your will and not doing my perfect will. What are you comfortable with? Because it is possible to do a portion of God's will and still be out of the will of God. The Lord spoke to me at the beginning of this year, end of last year, and he said, George, this year is going to be a year of great transition for a lot of men. Last year, I told my wife, I said, there's going to be men that are going to die. Some would die because they refused to transition. So because they would not, God transitioned them. But then I said that there would be a, this would be a transitional year of leaders. And there would be old faces that would phase off and new faces that would come on. Not that every leader that passed away or that is passing away this year because it's not done. Not that every great leader that's passed away this year didn't get out of the way. God is moving people. And in saying that, I had a dream the other night. People are like, Brother Her, you always have dreams. Yeah, I have a lot, but all of them don't come from God. But if I come up here and I say about one, if I talk about one, it's come from God. I had a dream, three dreams in one night. That a great man of God among us that is a superintendent of one of the districts here in this country. I believe he's still the superintendent, died. I fell asleep, woke up. Fell back to sleep, woke up again, fell asleep again, woke up. And each dream was dealing with this man's funeral. I don't talk to the man. I don't deal with the man. But the Lord began to deal with me about transition. If you've recognized this year that in our movement we have lost a lot of great men. 
and not just within our movement, but there's men that are independent, men that are in other organizations that have faced off the scene. And the reason why I'm talking about this is that I believe that for every one that phases off, God will raise up ten more. But that's not just including the ones that will come up, up that will fill in the, the gap of the ones that are coming up higher. See, the thing is, the Bible says in the book of Haggai, it says, Who has left among you that saw this house in her first glory? Since I've been in this church, it has been a wonderful experience. The honor that is here, that you have given us in our family, um, the hospitality that you guys have given us. There have been people that have took us shopping, people that have fed us not sorry food either. They didn't give us a good a gift card to Longhorn or Cracker Barrel. <laughs> Folks slaving in the kitchen. Hospitality has been wonderful here. If I don't talk to you long, it is not, or if I'm not as vocal with yours, open with you, it is not because I'm trying to shun you. But it is to protect. Why? Because I can't minister if the honor isn't there. See, the thing is, is that if I, if the honor comes down, then the anointing can come down. I, spend a lot of time just kind of feeling after God. Me and my son, we were talking the other day. My wife left, had to fly to Indianapolis. And my wife is usually the more quiet one than me. We're both quiet. But she's the quieter one, don't you think, Natasha? And I was talking to my son about this in the car. And he started laughing. And I said, what are you laughing at, boy? He was like, Dad, I don't know if that's an accurate statement. I said, what do you mean? He said, at home, or when we're in the hotel, you're very, very quiet. Mom talks. He's like, what are you even thinking about? I I am a thinker. 
I meditate, not like yoga meditation, Bible meditation. <laughs> All you meditators out there, stay away from that yoga meditation. Amen, somebody. But he said, Dad, he said, um, at home, he's like, you're quiet until, like, it's like, all right. It's like, all right, now I'm ready. My wife probably says the same thing. I'm ready to talk when I get in the bed. <laughs> She's sleeping. That's when I'm ready. That's when I'm wired. But when I'm ready to go to sleep, she says, I go to sleep in about how many minutes? She said, five minutes, I'm out. She and him see one side. You see another. There is a. People say, well, did you, did you go out? Did you hang out? Did you go to all the museums? I'm like, I can't. Because if I do that, I can't do what I need to do here. And in saying all of that. I can say that God has showed me some things. Not just with the prophecies that I deal with here. But there's internal things. There's a deeper place that's beyond the surface of what God does in here that God really wants to do. And every place... I promise you, every place should always have someone that comes in that will do it. But every place does not allow it to happen. But there's some deeper things that God wants to do. But I've got to be able to tell you something. When I look over this church, I see people, some of you that are plugged in, some of you that are not so plugged in, some of you that are scattered. There are those that are on the wall. There are those that are nowhere around. There are those in this room that have a desire to see the will of God done. Last night, we had the opportunity to just share with some few young men, some young guys. I don't think anybody was over. There was like teenagers and up a little bit. They, they weren't that old. I mean, like, I don't even know if they were legal age. 
they probably still got to be home by the street lights. <laughs> 21 years old, got to get home, got to get home, street lights, mama going to call. No. <laughs> we have the opportunity to really answer questions. I love that. And I believe that if God is giving you something, you should give it all. You don't hoard the things of God. You distribute the things of God. You pour it all out. But tonight I'm not here to talk to just older people, younger people. Tonight, I'm here to talk to those that are in this room. That is left among you. That saw this house in their first glory. Transition. Life is full of transitions. We're always transitioning. Even when leaders are moved off the scene and another leader moves on the scene, even when that other leader moves on the scene, life is forever transitioning. No one stays in the same place. Things are always moving. You're developing as you grow. You're developing as you go. And I would say through the years here at this church, you are really and truly are an epicenter. For you that don't know it, I think you should if you've got the church name, Antioch. And your pastor and your bishop being who they are, I'm quite positive they've said something about this church being an epicenter for revival. And from Antioch flowed many different ministries. Leaders came out of Antioch. Usually whenever I go to a church or I deal with the pastor who names their church Antioch, they know something about Antioch. And usually they're trying to model the church after Antioch in the book of Acts. Church, there are those, and I'm not saying that the former glory, and what I'm telling you is not that God wants to bring back the good old days. But there are some of you that are in this room. I don't know what you did when you first came in. I remember when we started our church in Indianapolis, there were people that would come to our church 
And every once in a while, there would be an older person that would come that might have went to a church years ago somewhere and they moved to another, to our city or something happened. They would say, what you guys are doing is what we did when we started our church. And they'll name one of the bigger churches in the city. They'll say, yeah, when, when, when Bishop Golder or Bishop Vaughn or Bishop Haywood started this church, the same stuff that you guys are doing, that's what we did. And whenever I would sit down and I would have the opportunity to hear someone, I, I, I would sit back and I would listen to what they had to say. And the reason why, because what I was doing was something different than what a lot of people that were planting churches that were my age that were doing. There were some men that were like, you've got to, you got to put together this team. You got to have launch parties and you've got to, do this, do that. You can't start without a team and you got to have this big team and you got to have so much money in the bank and you've got to, you got to have your brands and you got to get your commercials and like all this production stuff. But I didn't learn that way. I just kind of built off of the very first time I saw someone get the Holy Ghost. And I took that experience and I built off of that experience. Took that experience and took that word and built off of it. And just each time I stepped, kept stepping in to something greater and something bigger. I became amazed because I began to come in contact with people that could tell me what they did back then. But when you ask what they're doing right now, you don't see them doing what they did back then. Churches of old used to be that some churches used to preach against birth control. That's why a lot of churches back then had big congregations, not just because they were soul winners. Folks had babies. And after a while, the people were like, we've got to do something for the babies. So then they said, why don't we have Sunday school? Why don't we have children's church? Why don't we have this? Why don't we have that? Because they wanted to keep the babies occupied. They came out with youth groups. Why? Because they needed to give these new, these, these children that had been raised on the pews something to do. See, when the first generation came in, they came in out of the world and off the streets. And when they came in, the pastor, 
more than likely was a soul winner. Probably baptized them and then said, do you know anybody else? And they were so happy. See, some of you talking now. You were so happy that God had done something in you that you had to share it with somebody else. The pastor would then show up to the house and maybe you would do a Bible study with the friend. And now all of a sudden, your friend that you've had from high school is going down in Jesus' name and that friend you had from high school is now being filled with the Holy Ghost. It doesn't even stop there. You then go to a relative and then you go to a cousin. You then go to a co-worker and this thing is just spreading like wildfire just with one convert. All alone, you're growing because you are not just coming and sitting, but you yourself personally was involved in the expansion and the growth of the church. See, the thing was, when you came, you did not just sit down. You never would have survived living then like you're living now. You never would have gone weeks without going to a prayer meeting. You never would have gone weeks without going to church. You never would have gone weeks without witnessing to someone. You never would have gone weeks without baptizing the soul. But what happened is this generation comes up. And see, the thing is, is that the conflict comes because when you start dealing sometimes, not all the time, but when the second generation is not, when there's a second generation that learns how to preach before they learn how to win souls, or they learn how to preach to people in the congregation without learning how to preach to people in the world, then they see preaching as a form of entertainment. They say preaching is a form of gaining affirmation. Why? Because if you put someone up before the church, before you put them up before the world, then what happens is they're going to preach with the intent of trying to gain affirmation from the church. So then when they come before people before the world and they don't gain affirmation, then what happens is they walk away from preaching. So now preaching to them is more centered around motivation than it is centered around actually reaching the soul. So what happens? There's a fire that's brewing with the first generation that comes in. But the second generation, they're raised on the pew. They're excited. But the thing is, somewhere along the line, that second generation people aren't giving them their purpose. People are just kind of like giving them something to do. What do you mean? Little Mikey gets up and he preaches his first little sermon. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Mikey now thinks that preaching is all about the excitement and all about the yeah, yeah, yeah. That when he gets up and he preaches to someone that's not yeah, 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 then Mikey thinks that something wrong is something's wrong with him. Mikey thinks that preaching is all about acceptance instead of realizing that preaching comes with rejection. There are some of you that are in this church that remember this church in its former glory. And you know what it is like to be rejected. But there's a generation that all they know is how to be accepted. That's the reason why certain places around this country, churches transition, pastor dies, son comes in, son-in-law comes in. And what happens is the church goes a whole nother direction. Why? Because sometimes that person never Learn how to deal with rejection. That church groomed that man to only receive acceptance. So now when the leader dies and now the people that are now rejecting him, he only knows what to do to gain their acceptance. So now it's no longer about giving them what they need. It's about getting him what he needs. And now compromise comes into the picture because he's not a preacher that is sent after the heartbeat of God, but he's a preacher that is made after the heartbeat of the people. The last thing you need to do is set someone up before a pulpit in the church. If you haven't set them before an altar in a room. Last thing you want to do is set them before the church and you haven't set them before the world. See, before you became a preacher, first generation before you became a preacher in the church you were a preacher in the nursing home you you were a preacher in the prison you were a preacher in the jail you were a preacher on the street corner and nine times out of ten when you became effective in reaching the world then the preacher probably put you up to preach into the church. People that are not, a f- that preachers that are developed to preach but not effective in reaching the world are entertained by the world and will try to entertain the church. But preachers that will be effective in reaching the world will not try to be entertained by the world and they will not try to entertain the church 
and they will be effective at advancing the church. There are people that are in this room that you never, you never would have walked into a restaurant and not taught a Bible study to your waitress. You, you, you never, you saw every opportunity as a soul winning opportunity. But sooner or later what happens is the first generation, God starts blessing you. See, the thing is, once you got a few notches below your belt and, and, and you've done a few things, it is very easy to shift the attention. See, the thing is, the Bible says we have many teachers, but not many fathers. Usually what happens is when people are effective out there, we bring them in here so that they can help to empower the people in here to be effective out there. The condition that is going on is that when you deal with a father, a father's different than a teacher. See, I had a teacher that told me she was just getting sick and tired of me. I can understand. I get sick and tired of me too. She told me, she said, George, why don't you quit? Just drop out. <laughs> Just drop out of school. Because I was getting on her nerves. She was not concerned. She's like, I get a check. See, I only got you for this semester. I don't, I, I, if, if you, if you turn around, you go to prison, you end up dead or something, that's on you. I, I've got my own family. I done did my own thing. You got to choose what life you're going to live. I mean, she's just like, she was just wrong. And she told me, she was like, if you succeed, great. If you don't, so what? She's in the mindset that basically her obligation to me is for the semester. She's not concerned about my long term. Why? Because her being my teacher. That's not an obligation to, of hers. But a father has n not so much as the temporary outcome in mind. But a father has the long-term outcome in mind. And you can tell the ones that have been raised by teachers and the ones that have been raised by fathers. Because the condition is, is not that we don't have the resources that are here. I'm talking about Antioch. It's not that the resources are here. 
is that when you start dealing with a teacher versus a father. See, the thing is, a father has a long-term outcome. What do you mean? If my son fails, like, like my son's probably like, you know, especially during the pandemic, I'm, I'm, I'm the principal of Hurt Academy. That's the name of his school. His home school. Named it right after me, Hurt Academy. <laughs> How militant does that sound? And I tell him. I started figuring out some stuff. Started praying. And I said, You're cheating. He was like, what do you mean, Dad? He was like, lift your hands. <laughs> True story. I was like, you've been cheating on this time. You've been getting, you've been getting the teacher's manual. When did you do it? When you went upstairs, Dad. What about your mama? When my mama goes upstairs, I go get it and I throw it bang. I told my wife, I said, I'm telling you, that boy cheating. George, he ain't cheating. He ain't cheating. Look at him. He don't, I know him. hold him accountable I told him I said you get one more F I was like because what's going on is I was like I was like if you get an if you get an F I'm going to make you repeat the six you're going to seventh grade now I was like you're going to repeat the sixth grade over again all of it he's a smart kid but I wasn't playing I was like I'm not going to be raising no dumb kids I was like, you're not going to play me like that. I was like, well, you're going to be sixth grade all over again. So then he was like, he was studying. Because he, you know, I wasn't going to make him do it over again. But he didn't know that. But don't push me. <laughs> he probably was like, man, dad's rough. But dad has an obligation to him. A teacher wants him to, to succeed. A father's like, you've got to. And there's a difference between someone wanting the best for you and someone saying, no, I've got the best for you. You've got to make it. My name is on the line. My, my heart is on the line. My heart is in this thing. See, a teacher is only concerned about, 
a good teacher sometimes they've got they've they've they've, they've done a few things they've got some things under their belt but they're not really if you make it you make it if you don't you don't but they don't make good leaders they only make good teachers it takes a father to make a father and the thing is is that there are people that are in this church that maybe you're like well i i was used of god years ago we used to pray and we used to fast all the time but now you're not praying and you're not fasting you've got a generation of people that know nothing about the prayer and the fast life that you had not just when there was a corporate fast but something that you did out of your own devotion and your own commitment to God what are you saying brother Hurt there's a transition that is happening and there are many of you that stand here today that you might not be here next year And what we've got to do is we've got to give everything we've got to the people that are coming after us. But how are we going to do this? See, some of us are just here and you just, transition is not easy. Because when you've got the former glory, people, See, the thing is, when you get the former glory person, and the former glory is still present with the people that are going to see the new glory, things that may have been done a certain type of way years ago might not be happening that way this year. So what happens is you're kind of used to following, you know, for instance, I planted a church. I did a whole lot. And I had a people do a whole lot. But the guy that came in after me, he said, Brother Hurt, he said, you just did too much. And I, I did. My wife, you think I did too much? I was like, yeah, yeah. I, I did a lot. I have a strong work ethic. But the thing is, is this. I told him, I said, there's people in the congregation. I said, that's fine. I said, there's people in the congregation that can do what I did. I said, what I want you to do is, I was like, I want you not to focus on what you can't do. But to delegate it to the people that can do it. These peoples did it with all of their heart. See, the former glory people, they, when, 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 when you came in this thing, you did it, you, you were sold on it. But, but I'm going to tell you tonight that there's some people in this house that, that you're not so sold on it no more. You're, 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 you're not, you're not the same person that you once were. The passion, the hunger, the burden that you once had, 
You don't have it no more. You can, you can tell me what you've done, but you can't tell me what you're doing. See, the fruit of a great leader is that it will reproduce after its kind. If you're part of the former glory, show me somebody that is in here that is doing on a greater level what you were doing on that other level. Elijah had Elisha. And Elisha followed Elijah not because Elisha wanted the ministry of Elijah. Elisha followed Elijah because he wanted Elijah. But when the Lord said that Elijah was going to be removed, and Elijah asked him, what can I give you? He said, let me have a double portion of your spirit. What are you transferring? Are you transferring information or are you transferring spirit? I'm, I'm talking to some people in this church because you are the epicenter of revival in the word that God has spoken into the foundation of this church that was planted here years ago concerning then and concerning now and concerning the future. Can I tell you that that word still stands, but there is something that has happened along the lines and I've come to speak to the words that God has put in the foundation of this church and I've come to tell you tonight that God is telling you to wake up and God is telling you to arise for you have not arrived yet there is still a call there is still a word there is still a mandate there is still an assignment that God has for Antioch church You would cry. You'd see that person come to the altar and leave the church. You would mourn. You'd hear, hear about that backslider that backslid. It, it, it would vex you. So and not only would it vex just a couple of you, but it would vex several of you till all of a sudden you would get in the prayer. And while you're getting in the prayer, there's somebody else in the church that's getting in the prayer. And then all of a sudden God would tell that person to get up and go to that person's house. And then God would tell this individual to get up and go to that person's house. And by the time Saturday rolls around you're pulling up at the driveway all at the same time why because you've got a burden you got a hunger when you came into this thing there was a death you were sold on the word uh, you were sold on the vision uh, you had a belief you had a hunger you had a desire to see the will of god but somewhere along the line 
You don't get burdened like you used to before. You, you don't go through the pain like you used to go through the pain before. You don't mourn. You don't weep. You don't grieve. You don't agonize like you used to before. But can I tell you that this generation that is coming after you has got to see some people that will mourn before the presence of God. Some people that will grieve until God says grieve for them no more. When was the last time you grieved over somebody that rejected God until God said don't grieve for them no more. Are there any prophets that are in this room that have laid down your mantle and said I don't want to obey God anymore. Are there any apostles in this room praise the Lord that laid down your apostleship and said I don't want to serve God anymore. Are there any evangelists that are in this room that laid down your evangelism and said I don't want to serve God anymore. Can I tell you that not only do they need your gift but they need the character that you had when you first came in. Don't you think you're going to just leave this world and go to heaven and leave this church high and dry with no character, with no tenacity, with no fathering, with no passion, with no demonstration. Can I talk to somebody in this room tonight? glory he said who among you remember the church you know in its heyday I was privileged to serve under a leader the church I got saved at a man baptized me man would come visit me when I was in prison. He pastored me for the first couple of years after I came home from prison. To this day, when I come in town, he's usually one of the first people I go visit. I think he would not mind if I shared this Because I shared out of the motive of a right spirit. This man took over a church that in its heyday ran, you know, at that time, six to eight hundred people. The pastor, the founding pastor was a bona fide prophet. People would come from even other denominations, would sit in on his Bible class. He was mightily used of God. So many leaders came out of that church. So many leaders came out of that ministry. They were simple people. They were powerful. 
The man was passionate. The people got behind it. I don't care how big your vision is. If you don't get some people to get behind that vision, you ain't going nowhere. You can't build an Antioch church without somebody that sold on an Antioch vision. You hear me, church? You can't build an Antioch church without somebody being sold on an Antioch vision. We're here today because somebody had a vision and we're here today because somebody was sold on the vision. But you know what happened? Transition came. And when the transition came, One pastor steps in. And then another pastor steps in. And the people were waiting for the pastor to become just like Bishop. And the pastor was never called to be what the Bishop was. You better listen to me tonight. There's some of you in this room that you have put down your sickle. You have put down your sword. You have put down your tools because you're waiting for your pastor to become Chesterite. But can I tell you, your pastor is not Chesterite. Your pastor is David Wright. And can I tell you tonight that you've got to get behind the vision. Why? Because it's not done yet. It is not finished for the glory of the latter house it's going to be greater than the former against that murmuring spirit I come against that analytical spirit I come against that complaining spirit I come against that condescending religious spirit right now I the power and the authority that is in the name of Jesus I command it to leave this building I command those secret phone calls and I command those secret meetings to cease this night I the power and the authority that's in the name of Jesus.
got to turn that phone off. You, you got to somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, you've got to you sit down. I would hear people say things like see Bishop would have done this. How would Bishop handle it? Bishop had been dead for years. And the people's ministry died where Bishop died. Because when Bishop led them, he did not lead them to think on how would Bishop do it. He led them to know how the Lord would do it. Said, my sheep hear my voice. What are you saying, Brother Hurt? The church, people started having conversations. The very people that were effective became defective. You want to turn an effective ministry into a defective ministry? Dishonor. The worst thing you could ever do is be submitted to someone that has a dishonoring spirit. The worst thing to do is receive impartation from a spirit of dishonor. What are you saying, Brother Hurt? Started seeing people in the church that would, they would bring because of the dishonor they never just came up and just said something like crazy. You know, saints know how to conduct themselves in the house of God. They don't want to do anything that's not becoming of a saint. But I'd watch men teach. not just for the simple fact of impartation but when you've got a dishonor in your spirit when you teach you don't gather them unto the Lord but they gather, you gather them unto yourself I would watch I, I, I remember one particular class I was in If somebody's watching from back home, well, I mean, it's the truth, you know it. I watched one particular class I was in. I had just got the Holy Ghost, and one of the brothers said, man, why don't you come over to this class? I said, something feels wrong. 
See, babies, one thing about a baby, when you crazy, babies don't like to be held by crazy folk. Baby, baby don't have no problem being passed around, passed around. But when it feel, when it feel crazy, not that baby gonna cry every time it come in contact with. Whenever it comes in, just because it. Reje- Listen, if you got rejected by a baby, that don't mean you're crazy. But if you're crazy, baby gonna reject you. Babies have a tendency to pick up on people's spirits. And I was a babe and I could feel something. See, a baby honors its parent. And a lot of times don't want to be around someone that will dishonor the parent. church you want to make sure that when you are imparting you're not imparting from a spirit of dishonor you never if you it's like this if I ever I'm submitted to my pastor there are men that I talk to from time to time at the church but I never gather them unto myself. I always send them. I distribute that honor. I never keep honor for myself. I distribute that to that leader of that house. Why? We have to have that here at Antioch. And the reason why I'm saying that is because it takes more than a biblical model to build a biblical church. You need the character and the spirit of that model to build that church. Why? Because except the Lord built the house, they that labor they labor in vain. What are you saying, brother? Who in this house remember when you gave and you didn't care if no one gave you credit for it? Who in this house remembers when you took vacations so that you could come to a prayer meeting at the church. I know that there, I know that, 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 that you've put your work in. And I believe that it is good from time to time to take a break. you don't break from the presence of God. You don't break from the will of God. There's a transition 
that is happening in the church abroad. And while many of you right now, there's some of you that are at the exit door of death and don't know it. There's some of you that are at the exit door of death and do know it. I'm not speaking from a judgment standpoint. I'm speaking from a season standpoint. And what I'm saying is this. You've got to give everything that was given to you. You've got to pour it into as many people as you possibly can. We say, Brother Hurt, we don't need just people that will come and I meet you on Tuesday. I'm going to talk to you. We need that. We need that. We also need someone that will teach you how to how to do the same thing to somebody else. I asked the men the other day, I said, who are you? Who are you pouring into? Those young men. So who are you pouring into? He said, Brother Hurt. There are some of you in this room that all you've done is take. When are you ever going to give? Oh, I've got, I, I, I've got my own life. See, the thing was, I was, my whole life was just centered around church when I was coming up. I didn't get to have the childhood that I could have had. You better bless God that you didn't have the childhood that you could have had. Because what you may have thought that maybe your mom that you missed, that ain't all you missed. Because before God got a hold of your mama, she was a prostitute. Before God got a hold of your daddy, he was a drug dealer. Before God got a hold of your mama, she had lost her mind. And the last thing you want is to get what you missed. Instead of complaining about what you missed, you need to bless God for the stuff that didn't happen to your house. You need to bless God that God brought you to the house of God every week. And I, you need to praise the Lord that, yeah, you might not have fit in with the people at the school, but you knew how to fit into the secret place. You knew how to get into the Holy of Holies. You might not know how, praise the Lord, to know every song and every antic and every trend that is out there, but you know how to follow the Holy Ghost. You know how to have revival. You know how to get a hold of the hand of the altar and not let go. You know how to turn the world upside down. How dare you? (laughs) 
don't you sit back and talk about the holiness and separation that you had robbed you do you understand that you're calling God a robber don't you understand that you're calling God a thief the Bible declares that the devil is a thief and a robber he's a thief he's a liar he's a liar from the beginning Jesus said that I came that you would have life and that more abundantly and if you feel like that you're not living in holiness then my friend you're dying in religious tradition you don't know what you've got you don't understand what you've got but when you learn and have an appreciation over the fact that yes you might have been a virgin throughout your whole years in high school and people talked about you but my friend when you got married you were celibate when you got married you didn't have to sift through the confusion of having been with this person and been with that person is there somebody in this generation that is grateful for a testimony that God kept you that God kept you from the alcohol that God kept you from the drugs that God kept you from perversion is there anybody in this church that is grateful for God being a keeper I'm thankful that he brought me out of prison I'm thankful that he brought me off of selling drugs I'm thankful that he brought me out of the gangs but I would be even more grateful if I can say that I never stepped foot in a barroom I never stepped foot in a strip cover you gotta learn how to be grateful over the keeping power of God Ethan, just go ahead and praise him. Listen, if you've never, uh, you've never drunk no alcohol, uh, praise the Lord. Thank him for that testimony. Thank him for him keeping you. Don't let somebody uh, tell you that you ain't got no testimony because God didn't bring you out of this. Uh, it didn't bring you out of that. Uh, you ain't got to have a testimony because he didn't have to bring you out. Uh, you can have a testimony that he kept you in. start telling these children better start telling the young the second generation don't you treat them like they don't have a testimony because they wasn't laying around with every Tom, Dick and Harry don't you sit back there and treat them like they don't have a testimony because they wasn't running out of this ballroom and running out of that ballroom. Don't you make them seem like that they ain't got a testimony because God brought you out of crazy stuff and they've never been in the crazy stuff. There have been too many people that have left the church and went straight to hell trying to get a testimony because the people that came before them treated them like they had nothing because they never went through nothing.
See, you can't preach to me. You ain't ever been through nothing. You can't talk to me. You ain't ever been through nothing. Now you got that child sitting up there like he can't do nothing. Cause he ain't ever been through nothing. But you don't know what it's like to go to school. And people are talking about you because you're trying to keep yourself together. People are laughing at you because you are keeping yourself unto the Lord. People are ridiculing you and telling you that your God isn't real. You don't know what it is like. You walk a mile in their shoes. What do you mean? Who in this house saw this house in its former glory? Don't talk to me about the heyday and you're not doing anything today. All right. Don't you talk to me about your heyday when you're doing nothing for today. You'll die a washed up preacher. You'll die a washed up teacher. You'll die a washed up has been. If you don't let God wash you with this word tonight, if you don't let God get a hold of you tonight and cause an awakening to stir in your spirit and say, God, give me another win, God. Give me another win, God. Give me the wisdom. I want to do this thing. I want to see this thing. We have not apprehended. There's one thing I do. I forget those things that are behind me. I look to that. It is in front of me. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling that's in Jesus Christ. What this generation needs is not a testimony of yesterday. What they need is they need some people that's come out of yesterday and still has a press in your spirit. Are you still pressing after all of your victories are you still pressing after all of your breakthroughs are you still focused Paul said I count it all as dung that I might win the excellency of Christ is there somebody in this room tonight that says I'm going after him I'm pursuing after him I'm not satisfied until my soul sees Jesus I'm not satisfied until the fullness of the Gentiles have been brought in I can talk to you about the first person that got the Holy Ghost. We can talk about the 120 that were in the upper room. But one day, it's going to be that last person that will talk in tongues. It's going to be that last baptism that we will see. And my friend, I'm going after it. My friend, we're going after it. My friend, I want to see this whole world baptized in the Holy Ghost. I want to see this whole world baptized in Jesus' name. I want to see this whole world completely turned upside down. Are there any people in this house that saw this house in its former glory? Can I tell you that the glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former? He's going to give you the former rain and the latter rain all in the same season. Get your head out of yesterday and put your head into what God's trying to do today. He's going to do it.
Stand to your feet right now. Lift up your voice towards heaven. It's time that we get a hold of God tonight. It's time that we get a hold of God tonight. Elisha didn't ask for a double portion of his ministry. He needed a double portion of his spirit. If he get a double portion of his spirit, he'll have more than what he had in his ministry. If he get a double portion of his spirit, you're trying to give down knowledge. You need to hand down spirit. Paul did not impart knowledge to Timothy. He imparted spirit to Timothy. It's time for you to get in the spirit. It's time for you to get in the Holy Ghost. It's time to die out uh, to your accomplishments accomplishments, uh, and walk in the spirit of God it's time to impart the spirit to people it's time to impart uh, the gifts to people Uh, it's time for impartation time to impart faith Oh. oh God. Oh God. You both stay Oh God. Oh, God, let there be a stirring in this house. Oh, God, let there be an awakening in this house. Oh, that person, Lord, they used to open up their house. I know you're living in a new season. Lord, I know they're living in a new day. But, God, there's some people that remember what it was like to have revival during the times of war. There are people that remember what it's like to turn a city upside down in the midst of chaos. Come on, somebody in this room tonight. Uh, it's time to get a hold of God. Uh, it's time to take this thing to another level. Uh, come on, in the name of Jesus. Uh, I know uh, that some of you in this room uh, are mightily used of God. I know some of you in this room uh, came maybe a small portion, uh, but don't you minimize uh, that small portion because uh, that small portion uh, that you gave and turned into uh, a big portion. Come on in the name of Jesus. You got to talk to these folk. You got to grab these young ladies. You got to grab these young men and say, you know what? I wish I had the strength that you've got. I wish I had the strength that you've got. But if I can yoke my wisdom up with your strength, we can have revival. If I'm going to show you how we used to get behind the bishop, I'm going to show you how we used to commit our Ourself, uh, with the vision of the bishop uh, and I'm going to show is there somebody in this house tonight uh, that will get behind your leaders uh, that will not only do that uh, but will yoke up uh, with somebody uh, with some passion uh, somebody uh, with some energy uh, and say I'm going to show you how to have revival uh, I'm going to show you how to be unified uh, I'm going to show you Come on. 
God in the name of Jesus come on in the name of Jesus come on you talk about if it was back in your heyday COVID wouldn't exist you say if it wasn't if it was back in your heyday it wouldn't be six feet apart what my friend and this generation needs is they need you that remembers this house in its former glory they need you to go and get the glory back they need you to go and get what you had back if you can have it back then you can have it again if you did it back then you can do it again if it didn't hit the house back then it doesn't have to hit the house again come on in the name of Jesus I need somebody tonight to pour out your spirit there's somebody in this house that's getting ready to wake up there's somebody in this house that's getting ready to wake up Come on, in the name of Jesus. I'm telling you, there's still revival. I'm telling you, there's still glory. I'm telling you that in spite of it all, it still works. I'm telling you, he said, in the evening time, there still shall be light. Can I tell you tonight, it's time to turn the light on. It's time to turn the light on. Come on, in the name of Jesus. Come on, in the name of Jesus. I need every preacher in this room right now to get behind this and lift your hands up towards heaven in the name of Jesus come on I want you to pray that God will empower you I want you to pray that God will give you wisdom I need every preacher's wife in this room to lift up your hands and lift up your voice it's time to get a hold of God it's time to get a hold of God there's revival that is sweeping through the land there's glory and sweep it through the land. He said in the last days, he said, I shall pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I don't care. They said that the children are going to leave the church. The devil is a liar. The Bible says in the last days, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The devil will not have this generation. The devil will not have these children. The devil will not have your daughters. The devil will not have your sons. In the last days, God shall pour out of this spirit upon all flesh. The devil is not the only spirit moving. And the Holy Ghost, it's sweeping through the land. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. 
There's a stirring. It's happening in this house. There's a stirring. It's happening in this house. I feel the winds of revival sweeping through this city, through this region, through this country, through the country beside us, through the country behind us. It's sweeping throughout the world. What Elijah gave Elijah, what Elijah gave Elisha was far greater than the whole ministry of Elijah. What Elijah gave Elisha was far greater than the battle at Mount Carmel. What Elijah gave Elisha was far greater than all the miracles that Elijah ever performed. You've got something to give. You've got something to pour out. And you're not going to die until you release it. You're not going to die until you release it. You're not going to die until you release it. Lest the corn of wheat fall to the ground and die. It abideth alone. But if it dies, it shall bring forth much fruit. The death of Jesus was far greater than the ministry of Jesus. When Jesus left on the day of Pentecost was far greater than the ministry of the three and a half years that he walked this earth. Come on, in the name of Jesus, he said that the latter end shall be greater than your beginning. He said greater works than these shall you do when you return unto my Father. Come on, you've got to give it. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Don't say you don't have nothing. Whatever you have, give it. Whatever you have, give it. Whatever you have, give it. It's not mine to keep. It is his to give. It's not yours to keep. It is his to give. Freely you have received. Freely you should give. There are hungry people in this church. There's some hungry people in this city. There's still some people that want it. There's some people that are thirsty. Don't you look at the way they look. Don't you judge them because they're not, uh, uh, they don't look the part. Don't you judge them and measure them by the way that they look. Come on, it took time to make you into who you are. It took time. Don't you rob them of the time that God gave you. Don't you rob them of the 
the time that God gave you. God did not choose to wait before he anointed you. God did not choose to wait before he laid his hands on you. But in spite of where you were at, he put his hand on you. In spite of where you were at, he put his glory on you. Can I tell you, God's not done. God's not finished. A breakthrough that is happening in this house. There's a breakthrough that is happening in the spirit of this church. There's a breakthrough that is happening in the spirit of your homes. There's a breakthrough that is happening in the spirit of your ministry. Come on, in the name of Jesus, you gotta lay it aside. Lay aside the weight. Lay aside the sin. Lay aside the failure. Lay aside the guilt. Lay aside the condemnation. Lay aside the success. And let's see the glory of God. I feel led of the spirit right now. We need to pray for California. Lift your hands right now in the name of Jesus. Oh, my mind. Oh, come on. I want you to open up your mouth. Come on. In the name of Jesus. Church, we need to pray for California. Come on. In the name of Jesus, we need to pray for protection to go to California right now. Oh, my God. 